This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Hello, and welcome to In Focus Sport from Control Risks, Specialist Risk Consultancy. I'm Alicia Fitterman, an Associate Director in the Compliance, Forensics and Intelligence team here at Control Risks. In each In Focus Sport episode, my colleague, John Brown, the head of the forensics practice across Europe, Middle East and Africa, will sit down with a guest to discuss their views and insights on a range of current themes linked to the integrity of sports. In this episode, John sits down with Benoit Pasquier, the sports lawyer, CAS arbitrator and former general counsel and director of legal affairs at the Asian Football Confederation in Kuala Lumpur. They chat through the highlights of Benoit's career in sport and some of the challenges that he faced as general counsel. And they also discuss how football has evolved over the last decade and how that's required a change in attitude and approach to governance and integrity in the sport. Benoit, thanks for joining us for the Control Risk podcast today. We're going to focus on the topic of integrity and governance in sport, with particular focus on football. So you have an impressive background in sport and you're very well positioned to join us today and to provide reflections on how some attitudes to integrity and governance have changed over the last 10 years or so. I'm really looking forward to the conversation and we'll move on to the specifics in a second. But perhaps to kick off first, you could just give us an overview of your background, specifically, I guess, your experience and interest in football. Thank you, John, for the invitation, and I'm very glad to be part of the podcast. My experience in sport started at a very young age and always uh, played football. Being a Swiss citizen, I was on the ski slopes at two years old. I played ice hockey, tennis, and so on. And uh, when I played football, I was also the, the vice president of my club in my hometown. And I always had the sport in my back of my mind. So when I started to study law in 1998, I was looking for a sports law program. And unfortunately, at that time, there were none. So I I did my degree then and afterwards I decided to do my internship in a law firm in Switzerland to pass my bar exam, which I did. And I was still looking for something in sports law and I found that the FIFA master was created then, but unfortunately it wasn't focused on sports law only. It was focused on other areas which were not of interest for me. So I decided to work in a bank afterwards and during those two years at the bank, I finally found a master that was actually in my area of expertise and quit my job at the bank and I started studying a master in international sports law in Madrid, which gave me afterwards the opportunity to work and do an internship with Marcos Mota, who is a prominent sports lawyer in Brazil and also around the globe in football and mainly in sports law in football. So over a decade now in sports law, do you think that the concepts of integrity and governance in sport have evolved over that 10-year period? Definitely, uh, sports has evolved dramatically over the past 10 years. You have more major sporting events attracting millions of fans and obviously millions of revenues. And you have always a few individuals who abuse the system. And then you have those uh, big scandals coming up in 2011 with the AFC and the former AFC president. Then 2015 with the FIFA gate. And obviously media scrutiny uh, over those scandals and our every 
day there's a media article on scandals in football and athletics at the IOC. So I think now sporting bodies have to, to get their house in order and implement a good governance culture within their organization, which includes obviously separation of powers because in certain organizations you, you, you can have an executive body deciding on disciplinary matters over their own members. So here there's something that needs to be fixed. Very important point nowadays, it's the inclusion of women at every single level in the decision-making process within sporting organization. At the AFC, we were the first organization having minimum at least five female members on the executive committee. So I think nowadays it's very important to have more inclusion. So you switch from private practice as a lawyer, where you were representing players and coaches, to FIFA in a senior role there. Could you talk to us about that transition, moving from private practice into sports federation? I think it was very interesting to see both sides understanding the interest of, of players and coaches, a strategy of having their case heard, and then working for an institution, a big institution where they have all the strategy, they have a bigger system in-house, more lawyers to handle cases. So I think it was very helpful to understand both parties in the proceedings in front of CAS. And how was your experience when you were at FIFA? It was a great experience. So I was working in the discipline and ethics department. I was the deputy secretary to the disciplinary and ethics committee. So I had the chance to, to travel and attend FIFA World Cups, meaning uh, not the famous World Cup, but the, the youth World Cups, so the under 20. And I was able to attend those tournaments and be in charge of the disciplinary matters with the FIFA disciplinary committee, providing advice to that committee when there was a disciplinary matter on the pitch or even off the pitch in a tournament. I had also the opportunity to work with Michael Garcia, the former independent FIFA ethics committee investigator, who was also former U.S. Attorney General. So in 2012, I had the opportunity to work with him on several cases. Sounds like the dream job for somebody interested in sport then. Definitely. You have the chance to, to travel the world. You go to watch football games, but obviously it wasn't easy every day. I have to say a lot of stress. So you have to handle your cases properly because at the end of the day, it's your case you present in front of the independent uh, judicial bodies and they have to rely on your uh, new case file to pass a decision. So you moved to Kuala Lumpur after that to head up the legal department at the AFC. So that's the Asian Football Confederation. For the people that maybe don't know this, so AFC is one of the six FIFA confederations and probably one of the widest ranging, I guess, 47 countries, very, very diverse, cuts across the Middle East through Iran, Iraq, South Asia, and even Australia, which will take some people by surprise. Could you talk us through that? What was it like joining the confederation from FIFA headquarters? And then what was the job like across that diverse region? It's an interesting story because after two and a half years at FIFA, I had an open chat with my boss at that time and I told him, look, if there's any opportunity elsewhere in the world to work in football, let me know. And a few months later, he came to me and said, look, there's a new AFC president who got elected. He's looking for someone from FIFA to join the AFC in Kuala Lumpur. You have one week to decide. So after two days, uh, I've decided that I wanted to join the AFC. And obviously, when I joined there, that was a complete different uh, organization. 
At that time, the legal department was composed of only four lawyers. So I uh, had the task from the AFC leadership to build a strong legal team. And obviously, as you mentioned, we have different culture in, uh, in the AFC, uh, which is divided into four zones. So you have the West, South Asia, Central Asia, the ASEAN region, the East region. So you have a lot of cultural difference and you have to handle problems or issues uh, sometimes differently. You have to be diplomatic with the people in certain regions. It was a very interesting seven years that I spent at the AFC and I am very proud of what we've done there. We did a good job and I'm, I'm also glad that the current new team under the my deputy who's acting uh, director now is keeping on the great job and I wish them all the best. That sounds like a very, very challenging role to take on. If you look at governance and integrity within the AFC, how did it evolve during the time that you were there and what were the key drivers that would have forced those changes? When I joined the AFC in 2013, there was a new AFC president and he was elected following the, the ban of the former AFC president. So we had to, as I mentioned before, uh, put the AFC house in order again. So we had to review the AFC legal framework. We had to modernize the, the constitution. We had to modernize the disciplinary and ethics code. We had to draft a new AFC code of conduct. So we had also to, to raise awareness among the first the executive committee members and just to tell them, look, guys, you have to follow the rules. You have to comply with the, the FIFA and AFC decisions. We also then developed an AFC integrity app in 2017, where actually whistleblowers can use that app to report any wrongdoings in football in Asia. And those reports don't go to the AFC administration, but they go directly to an independent head of integrity, who is a lawyer based in the UAE, who acts as as a gatekeeper and when he sees that something needs to be investigated then he will uh, forward a report to the AFC administration. Is that quite unique? Not really. I think the ICC has developed a similar system. During my time at FIFA, we started a similar system where a complete independent company was receiving or still receives reports from whistleblowers. I think it's the credibility of an institution because sometimes whistleblowers will think, if I forward my report to someone in-house alleged political interference into the institution, maybe the whistleblower would think, okay, they're not going to take it seriously. So I prefer to have somebody completely independent from the institution who I can report to, and maybe he will review my report and then send it to the secretary, to the judicial bodies to investigate. And you mentioned that you're very proud of your time at the AFC. If you were to look back across that period, what do you think you're most proud of? Um, to be able to set up a strong legal team, obviously you had the support of the AFC president and the AFC general secretary to build a, a strong legal team. Also, uh, in respect to match fixing, we were able to decrease the number of flagged match in our competitions. That was a great achievement with my team and with the AFC in general, where we were able to, to raise awareness among the member associations, the clubs, the players, that if you get caught, then your career is over. 
And finally, the AFC went through a first tender for its commercial rights for the cycle 2021-2028. And it was the first time in AFC's history that they went through a proper tender and I had the chance to be part of that uh, tender team. And uh, it was very transparent with the help of one of the big four who have actually someone independent monitoring the whole process. And the executive committee, based on our report, awarded those commercial rights to an agency for a multi-billion contract. You're now back in Switzerland, which I assume is a bit calmer. Slightly odd time for sport, though. You've moved back just as we've hit the kind of COVID crisis. What do you think, if you look forward over the next six months or so, is going to be taking up your time? Currently, I have to say I'm already very busy with appointment at Court of Arbitration for Sport uh, since I'm an arbitrator since 2019. I have been nominated in several cases by parties, so this is keeping me busy. Also, the review of sporting bodies, legal framework on governance structure. I have also been asked to investigate into corrupt behavior in sports. So sometimes sporting organizations are hiring external lawyers to look into a potential breach of their legal framework. And also, I think currently there are some clubs in football who are facing some financial difficulties. It can be a good opportunity for financial investors to look into purchasing clubs or they might need someone to support and advise them in the purchase of clubs. I've also been asked to advise someone who's running for office in a sporting organization. So it's quite diverse. And I guess the, the next step will be also e-sport in this exceptional situation where actually people can't go to the stadium. So there are a huge increase of viewers also for, for e-sport competitions. So this also is going to be something that fascinating stuff thanks a lot for joining us today Benoit I feel like we could have gone on for a lot longer but unfortunately that's all we have time for thanks again thank you John thank you if you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus make sure to subscribe wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well such as the Global Insight our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.